Welcome to Were Too Literary. I'm your host, Kenny. And I'm Jonathan. And today we're bringing you our Halloween special number one. If you say number one, that means we have to go with number two. You know that, right? Maybe we're being a little ambiguous. Eh? Ooh, I like ambiguous. All right. This episode is going to be about a Halloween special from Marvel Cinematic Universe called Werewolf by Night. And it is confirmed to be in the MCU. Yeah, it's actually canonical, right? Correct. No idea when it takes place, but the movie itself references the Avengers. And they've come out and said this takes place in universe. It does reference the Avengers in the very beginning, too, with a little like silhouette of a black and white backdrop of them, which is pretty neat. But we'll get into that here in a moment. Werewolf by Night seems to be set somewhere in, I want to say like the 80s 90s area because later on we see brief scene in a mausoleum that gives us that hint and it's a bunch of caskets with the dates of the deceased on them and of course one of them says something in the 1980s so i feel like it's gotta be a little bit closer to present maybe it's at least past the date in which that person died so i'll give you that i don't know if it's set that far back but it was very vague. It was very ambiguous. And it worked. It just left it up in the air when it takes place. And so we'll kick off by giving you a brief synopsis of what this show is actually about. It's a TV special. So it was only, it was less than an hour in length. It was like 50, I think 52 minutes. Rough time is considered 54, but with credits okay. and stuff, it's shorter than that. Sure. Let's give you a brief synopsis about Werewolf by Night. On a dark and somber night, a secret cabal of monster hunters emerge from the shadows and gather at the foreboding Bloodstone Temple following the death of their leader. In a strange and macabre memorial to the leader's life, the attendees are thrust into a mysterious and deadly competition for a powerful relic, a hunt that will ultimately bring them face to face with a dangerous monster. Spooky. Surprised I nailed that on the first try. (laughs) (laughs) You did a good job. Thanks. This was a really fun watch. I wasn't expecting a story from Marvel that was leaning a little bit more spooky horror. And this one definitely did so. It was really fun. And it did so in a very classic style. It was black and white pretty much throughout with a couple of exceptions. And that gave it a little bit more of a... Ooh, feel correct. It had a very solid, like, 1950s B-horror movie vibe, like watching Creature of the Black Lagoon or Frankenstein. Or Nosferatu. Ooh, going old school. 1922. That is original black and white spooky movie. And that one, I it's been a very long time, but I believe it was also a silent movie. So just... The spooky it's up the ants. Maybe they'll be their next one. Maybe. So we see right off the bat that this is in that classic style. It even shows the title as if it were one of those very early 1950s, 1930s movies. And it keeps that tone pretty much the whole time while bringing in modern elements that were really fun. Yeah. The style of the movie is a classic callback to those horror film kind of schlocky. Really, it's short and it's to the point that doesn't spend a lot of its runtime explaining things. It's just 
thrusting you into the meat of the story, pushing you forward and carrying you along on this entertaining ride. The most of the characters are one note, but they chew the scenery, especially Harriet Samson Harris playing Verusa, the epitome of evil stepmother. She is tackling and maniacal and just a joy to watch. She did such a good job. I'm trying to remember what it was that I've seen her in before where she just came across so severe and mean, but then ultimately backing off and being sweet. It might have been Adam's family. It might have been, but still trying to remember when I saw her last. And anyways, she just did a really good job of coming off very unsettling. I'd agree with that. After we kick off with a classic title. We see the Avengers in silhouette, as I had mentioned earlier, and it was pretty cool to see that. But it obviously gave us a little bit more of a hint of the the current time that it's more set to, even though it's showing itself in such a classic manner. Good catch. It could be that the fact that it shows the original Avengers from the first one may be a hint. That's the time period it's taking place. So way before Thanos and the snap. Way before Ant-Man and all the rest start showing up. Yeah. Then we get right to the point. This being a shorter, would you call it a vignette? It's not really a vignette. It's almost like a made-for-TV movie. You plug in some commercials, and this definitely hits the hour and a half, maybe two-hour runtime. Take up a good block that you'd watch on Disney Channel back in the day. Sure. And because of that, it really gets into the thick of it right off the bat it wastes no time and we find out that the leader of the bloodstone family ulysses has died and the way that the bloodstone is passed on is through a ritual of a hunt that involves obtaining the bloodstone and also taking down anybody in their path including one another and the heiress no she's not the heiress just the evil stepmother yeah yeah that works and He's not apparently involved in the hunt at all. Fortunate for her. Right. But before they they start discussing the immediate competition that's about to begin, at about minute 350 or so, we see the Bloodstone pass across screen. And guess what? It's red. It's the only thing throughout the whole show that shows up in color. I also thought there's some good foreshadowing. So the first character we see is Jack. And I mean, it's pretty heavy handed, but the voiceover talks about how we're going to see the monster hiding among this group and dead center on his face. If you weren't a spoiler alert, obviously (laughs) Jack is the titular werewolf in this movie. Yep. There it is. As always, if you came into this without watching it first, just know The whole point of this is to tell you all about it. Yeah, you're right. We see Jack and very quickly afterwards, he's taking a look around the room, spots the bloodstone, spots all the monsters that have been posted up on the walls. In fact, that kind of leans into a light scene setting that suggests he's a little uncomfortable because he is, in fact, a monster himself. Seeing all of the monsters that have been mounted on the wall probably leaves him feeling a little nervous about being there. And then Bloodstone shows up, having been estranged from the family, it seems, because she left with what backstory we got of her. We didn't. And we just know that she 
is a disappointment to the stepmother at the very least. Correct. She just up and left of her own accord at has vanished. And she makes an offhand comment about not practicing her father's training, but implying that she has been still training herself. Yeah. And so there's an exchange between Elsa and Verusa. Verusa basically comes at Elsa with this disdain for her being there and that she really has a lot of audacity for even having shown up. And then she returns to the main room to discuss with the other monster hunters that she refers to at that point as death dealers. She addresses the rest of the death dealers with the task that is at hand for the evening. They are happy to be attending the ceremony of the remembrance of Ulysses Bloodstone. And then they proceed to discuss the upcoming competition to find out who will be the new leader. And you notice something as we watch through this that I thought was hilarious. And it was what happens when she walks around the coffin. Oh, yes. And there's some great like little visual gag that maybe were a little too much. Maybe they take you out, but I loved them nonetheless. As Verusa is walking behind Bloodstone's coffin, there's a stamp that says this side up. That's just what the hell. Yep. It was like, it's almost one of those things where you think maybe, just maybe, fat chance. It was probably planned, but the prop team bought something that had a this side up on it and they just decided not to cover it up or not to paint over it. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It was just a fun little thing that appeared in the show that we were just like, wait a minute, really? (laughs) Obviously, there's a side of a coffin that generally looks like, I guess that's in a coffin that belongs to a vampire. Regular coffins are just rectangles, right? Yeah, vampire coffins are also rectangles, except for the ones who are a little too try hard. Right. (laughs) Then at about minute 830 or so, we see the butler essentially make his way around to the coffin with what I thought was just his cane, but it turns out it was a crank key to open up the coffin. And what happens next? Ulysses pops out and starts animatronically talking to everybody. It was very odd. Yes. And one thing I'd like to point out is this butler throughout the entire special is constantly carrying that crank and constantly trembling in fear. <laughs> yes. He has some issues. It's just ridiculous. But then, but then, yeah, there's like a few touches on like the fact that they have these medallions that they're all carrying for being the hunters that they are. And then there's a little shade that gets thrown at Elsa for having shown up out of the blue, not really being a hunter in the same way that the rest of them are. And it creates this tension that sets the tone for the hunt that's about to begin where it feels like they're all going to be very interested in going after her. And those medallions actually come into play in just a couple of minutes here, where we see everybody gather around outside of what looks like a maze, right? And reminiscent of a labyrinth. Yes, that's the word that I've been looking for all day. (laughs) All day. You've been looking for this word? All day long. I was like... What is another name for a maze? Oh, a labyrinth. Thank you. 
I, I like to think that this came up at work and for some reason you needed the word labyrinth and just could not come up with it. Where I work, the underside of the building is basically a labyrinth. So yeah, that fits perfectly. <laughs> I love it. They get in front of this maze, this labyrinth, and we hear a lot of exotic sounds. There's just feels jungly. It feels like they're about to go into a place where there's a lot of creatures and at no point do we see any other creatures than the ones that we do. So it was an interesting touch to get you absorbed feeling that idea that we're in a exotic place. But then, yeah, at no point was there anything other than the people and the monster. So I thought that was funny. And as they get ready to head into the maze, they all exchange their medallions for rune stones that they pull out of a skull, a, a caved in skull. And these rune stones have symbols that clearly have some kind of meaning. And of course, Jack manages to get the rune stone that suggests he gets to be the first one to go into the maze to start the hunt. Which leads to this awesome little scene where he's walking down a long guard path. With a flaming tuba that keeps like blaring out. And it's hilarious. All while some kind of like serious pledge is being recited by everyone else. It's also just a little interesting. Like they're all saying this pledge. Jack is on his own walking towards the uh, labyrinth. It almost feels like a subtle nod to the fact that he's not amongst them. Even though they have no idea that he's not yet. And yeah. Just a kind of an interesting touch as they get into the maze and they're meandering through. You hear horns coming from a, from the background, which to me sounded like it was the indicator of every other hunter that got to go next. Like every time they entered, there was another horn blast. Good catch. I think that was the point. Then we're meandering through the maze. Jack's kind of the main focus, but we're getting glimpses of what the others are up to up until Jack rounds a corner. At the same time, Elsa does, and they could both come face to face with a neither of them really wanted to fight each other. They just took pause and went. Jack was like, I think let's just pass each other by. No, no harm, no foul kind of thing. And I thought that was a neat exchange just because it's like, hey, this whole thing seems a little ridiculous. Maybe we don't do this. I did like that. And then in that moment, Jovan comes out of nowhere swinging his axe. And almost takes Jack's head off before Elsa pulled him out of the way. Then Elsa and him get into a fight, Jovan, and she gets her head slammed against the corner of concrete pretty hard multiple times. And I'm like, wow, she just took that full stride like it was a little inconvenient. He I, took it like a champ. I would have gone to the ground if somebody just took my head and slammed it against the corner of a concrete wall. I would not get back up from that easily. <laughs> no, it was a standing curb stuff and I would have just been crying. I would oh. have just been on the ground crying. But she manages to get away after throwing a few blows back. She steals his axe and runs off. And this is where this whole show took a turn that when I saw that it had a TV 14 rating, I was like, okay, cool. It's just going to be a nice fun ride. And then Elsa stumbles across another one of the hunters and he's got like a crossbow wrist 
launch her. He comes out of this door attacking at her. She's blocking it off. And then she takes the axe and she lobs his arm off. And then blood sprayed everywhere. <laughs> there is some gruesomeness throughout this special. And it is vastly entertaining and definitely something that I'm surprised that the fact that it's just because it's black and white, it does not get a TVMA rating for it. Yeah, that is exactly where I was going. I was like, wait a minute, flinging blood. It's like almost Monty Python-esque in the fact that I'm probably making, you're going to go watch this if you haven't already, and you're going to see it and you're going to be like, that wasn't a fountain. But it was borderline mild Monty Python spraying, right? It goes flinging everywhere as they're going back and forth attacking each other. And I was like, how is this TV 14? How did this not get the TV rating? And Jonathan and I went and checked it out a little bit later and discovered that it's because it's in black and white. That's the whole reason that they got the TV 14 rating is that you can't actually see the color of the blood, which considering the bloodstone is one thing that has color, you'd think maybe the blood would too. No, but if it had blood, then it'd be TVMA. And I would have to check, but I believe Disney Plus doesn't have that on US servers yet. But I don't know that for a fact. Uh, yeah. At first, they definitely didn't have anything that was adult oriented. Daredevil and Jessica Jones were MA, weren't they? I would have to look. I don't remember. Okay. I do believe those are available on Disney Plus at the moment. And if and they Deadpool are, is, I think at this point. Oh, that's true. That's true. So maybe there's a few things, but yeah, this would be like one of the first for Disney Plus on its own as a creation that was intended for Disney Plus. It would have been the first on its own if it had actually achieved that rating, which again, even though it's in black and white borderline, I'm not saying it's so much that most people couldn't watch it. They absolutely could. But it was a prize nonetheless. And not to mention that the finale of this particular fight, she manages to get the upper hand, gets a hold of his his wrist crossbow <laughs> and puts a bolt up his jaw. And then he very slowly and painfully bleeds out over the course of what feels like a very tense minute as Yovan comes around the corner and they're hiding in some underbrush. Oh, man, I was like, wow. They're lingering on this. They're showing us that she's got him held down, trying to keep him quiet. But the man's just still alive, slowly bleeding out. And I was like, my goodness, this is brutal. Very excruciating, it looks like. It, and it, there's a lingering shot after Elsa gets up from him of his face with the bolt through his chin and out his like mouth into his upper lip. Exactly. It's a lot. So then we flash forward a little bit. Jack is now at the focal point again, and he's making his way through the maze until he comes across an area where he hears some creature sounds going on, backs himself up into a vine bush area. And the next thing you know, a hand, a very monstrous looking hand pops out, grabs him and pulls him in. And it turns out that it's the monster that they are all hunting who has the bloodstone fastened to his back and if i remember correctly earlier on they had suggested that it was going to be like attached to his hind but of course it makes more sense that it was in the shoulder blade area where if he could reach around himself he couldn't just grab it easily he was a very bulky monster he looked like a uh, cthulhu 
in my opinion. Yes, you really enjoyed that, like, Cthulhu-likeness of him. Which yeah. Which was entertaining. He had the kind of long tendrils coming off his face. But I think later on, the color portion, he has a little bit more depth to the fact that he's more of like a swamp creature. We'll say swamp thing. Because, yeah, a little copyright there. Yeah, true. <laughs> At this point, we realize that Jack is friends with the monster because he immediately smiles and says, there you are. And we're revealed to the monster itself, which, again, looks like Cthulhu and is great for me. And Jack just treats him like an old friend. And it sets the tone for the rest of the of the feature. Jack's there to save him. He's not there to hunt him. And he's going to help him get out before they have the chance. He explains a little bit about what his plan is to get the monster out. And they go their separate ways while he tries to get the plan together, finds himself going to that same area where Elsa fought with, I think the guy's name was Leoran earlier and ends up going inside the room. As soon as he feels like he's being chased, the door closes and it locks. And who else is stuck inside there? But Elsa. And it's a mausoleum. And that's where we got the dates from earlier, where we were talking about what time frame this might actually be in. A couple of the caskets that we see are illuminated where the name plates are. And one of them said somewhere in the 1980s. And so we at least know that it's somewhere beyond, I think, even Captain Marvel. There we go. Might even be after Captain Marvel or would was Captain Marvel late 80s? So Captain Marvel was set in the 90s. Oh, it was set Captain in the 90s? It was set in the 90s during the height of Blockbuster. Remember? Because uh-huh. she crashes into a Blockbuster video. That's right. While Jack and Elsa are in the mausoleum, they have a little bit of back and forth discussion about their intentions a little bit. But ultimately, Elsa remains standoffish toward Jack not really trusting him, thinking that he's just looking for an opportunity to kill her. But Jack reassures her, offers some help with the injury that she's sustained from getting hit by the axe, I'm pretty sure. And Uh, yeah, during the fight, she gets clipped a little bit, I think on her legs. Yeah. And he offers to help wrap it up, stop the bleeding and all that. She finally accepts his help. He takes off i think his tie or something wraps her they're talking about their intention with the hunt and how to make everything work they work out a deal to free the monster and she gets to keep the bloodstone no biggie that's when elsa notices the names on the caskets and sees an old family member whom she remembers stories that were told to her by her father but it reminds her that there was a good chance that There was an escape route that was planned that could be found in her burial space. And I thought one of the things that was just interesting is they'd done all this really fun stuff up to this point. But then when she breaks open the burial spot, the CGI spiders that crawl up and away are just so obviously CGI that I was like, wow, I could tell that those were fake. (laughs) Yes. And that was the one time that I felt like they really didn't go out of their way to make the animation look that good. <laughs> it was just, it was just you see these spiders crawl off and you're like, really? Normally I'm like, ooh, spiders. But I was like, no, that was just like a it was a meh. So 
she discovers the keys in there that allows them to get out. And at that point, they're back in the hunt. They're looking for, for Ted. Jack actually mentions that the monster's name is Ted. Forgot that. Jack mentions that to Elsa and says, hey, when you meet him, treat him like he's an old friend. Give him that comforting feeling that you've known him for a long time. And so she takes off to to find Ted and he goes off with the, these bombs that I don't even remember when they necessarily introduced the fact that they were there. But it was all of a sudden was like, hey, we got these bombs and you can use it to blow a hole in the wall. So I think it ties into when they first told about the challenge, they're told they can only use weapons that they find in the labyrinth. So it's where right. axe counts from. It's where the wrist mounted crossbow and all the other jazz is coming from. So. Obviously, somebody had to have planted this tiny little explosion. And it is small enough that it's one of those things where you're like, wow, that was a pretty lucky find then. But they managed to find it and they use it to set up an escape so that Ted can get away. This is essentially act two of the story. They managed to pull it off and Ted or Jack is able to blow a hole in the wall. Ted goes to escape and at the very last moment before he does Elsa throws a hook shot like Zelda style hook shot practically grabs the bloodstone off the back of Ted pulls it off of him freeing Ted from this bind that was causing him to feel weakened and you can see in that moment after the bloodstone's removed from Ted that Ted's face just becomes overwhelmed with strength again and he just runs off into the forest like yay I'm free and it was cute because he's like frolicking away and then Jack goes to reach out for the bloodstone and that's right when we find out that he's a monster because the bloodstone does not react kindly the bloodstone itself actually causes like the shock wave that throws Jack back and then he's like trembling and like almost partially paralyzed twitching and struggling a little bit fully aware but you notice something else and i think this was a good point because i think it denoted the marks between acts they use that old style of film separation correct they even though this was all shot digitally there are two were called cigarette burns throughout the movie at different places. I believe the first one's at about 16 minutes. The second one's about 31 minutes. And it's what used to happen on these older movies when they'd be switching from reel to reel. And it's just a flash, but it's there. And it really makes you feel like it was shot analog on actual film. And yeah, lent a little element of that original style that gives you those breaks in between it's like, hey this was like i said i felt like it was note to this is act one over with this is act two over with because i don't know that we saw another burn mark for the rest of the film i was trying to keep an eye out for it but at this point of the film we're two-thirds of the way in and they restrain jack we wake up and we find him and elsa are inside what effectively looks like a large bird cage and there's a little bit of back and forth between them once again he's checking on her he seems very compassionate throughout the whole time that they're together and lets her know that he's concerned about her safety and she's it's a little late for that isn't it mr monster and from there we learn that the bloodstone actually has the ability to force the transformation of a monster even if it's not the time to do and for jack as a werewolf which is the type of monster we find out he is he's only got 
five days before the next full moon, but that doesn't matter because this bloodstone's going to make it happen now. This is about the only exposition we really get, if you notice, like this slow back and forth between them, but not really a whole lot. Just that, yeah, he's a werewolf and it's about five days, but oh, the bloodstone's going to change him now. There was a cool little visual of Jack, like, scratching behind his ear like you'd see a dog do i I like that little extra he did yeah and jack realizing what's about to happen after elsa reveals that the bloodstone can force him to transform actually brings on this appearance of genuine fear of oh no this is gonna this is gonna cause a lot of damage if we can't do something to to either figure out a way out or figure out a way to stop them from doing this and so the first thing he does though is jumps over and starts smelling her and it's like a weird moment for a second before you realize that's how animals typically get a scent of somebody that they want to remember that they want to recognize is they they get in there and they smell them and so he's in her face smelling her hair smelling her skin and she's what what are you doing and this is the second time and i don't know that i mentioned it the first time around but this is the second time that elsa almost swears in an R-rated fashion, <laughs> but they cut her off and he's I'm trying to make sure that I can remember you because that's ever worked before. And he's like, once. And so it gives this very unsettling feeling of maybe it will, maybe it won't. We're going to find out. But then Verusa comes back in and very much just full evil stepmom mode. She looks terrifying in her cult-like garb especially with the makeup under her eyes, making it look like she was crying some sort of blood. It was unpleasant. All smeared around. Yeah. Yeah. It was a cool visual. You know, it, it's the Batman eyes. It's really what it is. So that way the eyes blend in with the mask. Yeah. The other note of this scene that I really enjoyed was the fact that the actress who played Elsa showed a considerable amount of fear for what was to come. And honestly, really well done. Laura Donnelly really nailed that emotion that made you feel like you were understanding just exactly how scared she was. And that's when Verusa hits Jack with the bloodstone and you get to watch the transformation occur in shadow over Elsa as she is terrified about what's occurring in front of her. And of course, the transformation, as it typically goes with any other werewolf movie I've ever seen, the transformation looks extremely painful. Just looks super uncomfy. Right. It wouldn't be a transformation if it wasn't. I will submit is off camera, so that works, but it still is by far not the most brutal werewolf transformation I've ever seen. Yeah. That goes to a very special show on Netflix. Which show would that be? That show is Hemlock Grove. Uh, it was grotesque. If I remember correctly, as they're transforming, it's like the wolf is inside them coming out. So you see the flesh tear apart uh, and it's like laying in strips on them and stuff. Oh, it was gross. But then they still turn back into a human. Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It was not good. Here we cue the final fight of the show, which was really epic. It was a very neat fight to watch, especially because we're still very much in black and white at this point of the movie. And 
frankly, Jack just destroys everyone. He gets tased a few times with these stun batons things, the cattle prod looking almost. And he, I remember you being like, where the heck is all the smoke coming from? But the next thing is the entire cage is just enveloped in a thin layer of fog and they pan up and the top of the cage is the bars are bent apart and you know that Jack got out, at which point he goes around and just tears everybody apart. And I, yeah, the he gets a hold of one of the hunters, bites his ear off and they do not hold back on showing you that it was like, oh, damn, that's happening. OK, it's not. It was Mike Tyson all over again. <laughs> Right. It wasn't that hard to watch, but it was still one of those things where you're just like, oh, man, blood ends up splattering on the screen at a few different points where you're just like, "Okay, yep. Again, Monty Python, whatever else you want to throw at it. It's got those kind of campy effects. Yes. Elsa manages to get out of the cage as well. She goes and starts fighting some of the hunters. And the thing that I took away from that was when she bested the hunter in all white with the sword, she manages to get them in the throat and then just impale them on top of their head. And I was like, again, I know it's in black and white, but how is this not TVMA? I don't know. It's quite honestly impressive for it being marvel this is some of like the most brutal visceral fights we see this is deadpool's level of violence without the color yes i would almost argue the whole fight unfolds jack's trying to get out verusa tries to take out jack with the bloodstone again tries to at least like subdue him but then verusa hook shots or gets hook shotted in the back by elsa and this is the second time that we think we're about to bite the bullet. The first time I forgot to mention before was right after they transform Jack into the werewolf. She gets really close to the cage like a fool. <laughs> gets yoinked right into the bars. And I was like, wow, that was satisfying. It was. But at the same time, it's also like, why didn't he just rip her arm off? That's what I was waiting for, because at this point, things had been brutalesque in that fashion. So... I was waiting for her to come back without an arm, but that didn't happen. Correct. I expected like a stumbling back and just blood gushing out. Yeah. Sadly, that did not happen. And we say sadly because Verusa was really horrible. (laughs) Yes. Just straight evil. After Verusa gets hookshotted, she's down for the count and Elsa makes her way in, sees Jack has a moment with him no dialogue this time because he's a werewolf he's not talking they she actually gets tackled down after she tries to approach him but then after a brief moment of i'm treating you as a human he's oh hey you're probably not so bad i guess i'll leave and then he manages to escape and she gets back up after having collected the bloodstone starts to seem like she's in the clear when guess what Bruce is not gone of course not She's the evil stepmother. She has to come back to chew some more scenery and cackle while threatening Elsa, brandishing a gun. Yeah, very like blunderbussy looking gun, too. It was awesome. That was and, epic. And then Ted comes out of nowhere from above, grabs Verusa. Ted Kool Aid mans his way into the room <laughs> and then picks up Verusa and basically disintegrates her. 
And it's like, all right, cool. We're finally done with her. She's not coming back from this one. It's over. So this is basically where the show wraps up. And there was a few neat notes towards the end where she gets the bloodstone. And as she sits down in the chair and she's holding it in her hand, I thought this was a really, really neat scene because at this point, the color is restored to her and the rest of the scene. And so this is the one point where, as I fooled everybody with earlier by saying the whole movie was in black and white, it wasn't. It was the very end scene that came out in a color and kind of brought us back to a real world setting where I think that's what kind of ties things into the MCU. The other note about this scene that I thought played out very well was the Wizard of Oz reference. So as she's holding the blood zone and color is bleeding back onto the screen somewhere over the rainbows play. Yeah, that was a really nice touch. Just having a song like that is involved with so much color, a rainbow, it really sets the tone in a good way. And it's also back to the original Wizard of Oz movie. It starts off in black and white. And then what? At the beginning of the second act, it goes to color when she ends up in the land of Oz. This little like cool double note thing of, yeah, the color is coming is bleeding onto the screen somewhere over the rain. Dorothy's not Kansas City. Right. We get a little bit of Jack and Ted in color as well. We see that they're both safe and escaped, and they have a little back and forth about how Ted saved Jack and Jack's. No, I'm always the one saving you. And things basically wrap up from there. A few additional fun, fun things that I noticed was, again, not really certain of exactly what year this is set in. There's a significant use of a gramophone record player and we know that those were a time of the of the 40s 50s possibly even earlier than that i'm not sure but that's old school and i thought the use of the gramophone throughout the film was a very interesting touch because it sets the tone of the times and that the year that it could be really suggests that a gramophone is beyond its time but it still helps maintain that feeling of an older style like that. And I thought that was just a fun little thing, even though you would expect more modern elements to be throughout. Now, it's also you know, a little fun throwback to earlier in the special in which the gramophone is found, I believe, by Jack or Elsa. I don't remember which playing a song in yeah. the middle of the labyrinth. Yep, I believe it was Elsa and she stopped it. And that's actually the moment that the two of them met just before that first fight. So for me personally, when it comes down to what I might have done differently is that I did think that this story on its own was a really, really well done story for Marvel. I think that to bring something like this in, they did a really good job. And so I wouldn't necessarily change anything about it per se. I would just add more to it. Like the fact that it was a TV special and the length that it was, I think was right on point. I don't know how well it would have done if they had actually added more, but because of how much I enjoy the storytelling and learning about these characters and understanding their histories a little better, I think it would have been fun to see more about Elsa's backstory, more about Jack's backstory, a little bit more about Ted and maybe even a few of the other characters, just to get a more well-rounded understanding of their purpose, what they've done before and what brought them other than the fact that Ulysses died, what brought them all together to go for this, what more 
the bloodstone has to offer other than the brief mention of some of the powers that it does appear to have so i i wouldn't personally end up changing a whole lot in terms of the story that they told just that i would probably add more to it right and i'm with you on that there's nothing per se about the story itself that was told that i would change this is more about what i would have done differently and yeah i would have for one i would have said or had characters say names if going through it we only learned three names we know the rest of them have names because they're listed on imdb but and they have names in the subtitles but i'm pretty sure only jack elsa and verusa have their names spoken aloud by characters yeah but if we get into it, the changes I would make would be because I probably wouldn't write something schlocky like this. Not that it's bad. I really love this, but it's not what I tend to do. And so it would be an entirely different movie. But yeah, I would expand a little on the backstory or get a little more understanding. The Bloodstone is very just mysterious and enigmatic. There's one use that we know of, and it turns Jack into his werewolf form. And that starts being the shit out of them. Yeah. (laughs) Where does it come from? How do they get it? I'm assuming as Marvel's MCU starts to expand more or continue on, we'll see more of Elsa and we'll get some more backstory. We'll we'll learn more about Jack. But as it stands, the special is just very short. And it's to the point I enjoy that. But I, I just... I would like to give it more. I fully admit that just changes the entire structure of the story and the feeling they're going for. Yeah, I agree. I think that the length made it very digestible. It was a lot easier to just sit down and watch. And admittedly, we watched it a couple of times just because we wanted to see if there was anything we missed on the first go. And both times it just felt like this was a nice and easy thing to watch. Like it wasn't three hours. It wasn't two hours even. It was just under an hour and it felt nice. All right. So that'll do it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Where to Literary, where we discuss the new Marvel Studios production of Werewolf by Night, a Disney Plus original that was pretty dang awesome. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you may be listening, be sure to subscribe, follow join us for every episode and if you hit that button you'll know when it drops so if you have any comments feedback please leave a review we're gonna have our website up very soon with an email address that'll allow you to submit your comments and feedback as well but in the meantime any review you might be able to give us helps and we really appreciate it as always thank you and we'll catch you next week we hope you enjoyed it hanging out with us bye-bye boy now